Welcome to High Performance Mindset with Dr. Sindra Kampoff. Do you want to reach your full potential, live a life of passion, go after your dreams? Each week, we bring you strategies and interviews to help you ignite your mindset. Let's bring on Sindra. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Sindra Kampoff. And today, I'm grateful that you're here, ready to listen to an interview with David Horsager. I've been trying to get David on the podcast for quite some time now, maybe six months to a year. So I'm really excited that we were able to get together and connect about trust. Now, David is a world-leading expert on the topic of trust. He has two best-selling books, The Trust Edge and The Daily Edge. And I know David uh, for a few reasons. We're both involved in our local chapter, our Minnesota chapter of the National Speakers Association. And I'm, I've heard David speak, gosh, four or five times now, and, and he's one of the best speakers I've ever heard. Now, the second reason that oh, we know each other is we were both involved in a football team and, and still involved in that team um, where David actually helped the team develop a culture of trust, and I did the mental training with the team. It's a Division three team um, called Davis Adolphus College. And uh, the impact of both mental training and the trust edge um, has been pretty outstanding. A few years ago, Gustavus Adolphus was uh, their record was three and seven, and last year they were seven and three. Uh, so I want to give a shout out to Coach Haugen and anyone else who's listening over for, from Gustavus Adolphus. So within this interview, David talks about how a lack of trust is your biggest expense, and he really talks about why developing trust is essential not only in sport, but in business, in your family, and in your relationships. Now, he discusses his eight-pillar framework, which you can find on um, the, the podcast notes, the show notes, at syndracampoff.com slash trustedge. And you can also find those, that eight-pillar framework, within his books, um, The Trust Edge and The Daily Edge. Now, he talks about how developing trust takes time. There's no quick fix. But the best think about trust bigger, and they take responsibility for developing trust. Now, he also describes what, what he calls his 90-day quick plan for developing trust and the importance of really asking the big question of how. But he encourages us not just to ask the question of how once, but many times. And you'll, you'll hear a discussion um, about how and why that's important in this interview. So I am so grateful that you're here, ready to listen to an interview with David. Again, you can find out um, how to connect with David on the show notes page. You can go to syndracampoff.com slash trustedge. Um, and you can also find David at trustedge.com. Now, uh, if you liked this interview, I'd love for you to share it with your friends. Um, David has a lot of incredible resources about developing trust. Again, world-leading expert. You'll hear in this interview how he was just in Kenya uh, advising the Kenyan government. Um, and I'd also encourage you to head over to iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And uh, leave us a review that helps us reach more and more people like you who are working to reach their greater potential. So without further ado, let's bring on David Horsager. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Sindra Kampoff, and I'm excited today to bring you an interview with David Horsager. I have been working to get him on the podcast for some time now, and David, I'm just so excited that you're here, uh, ready to tell us more about trust thank and why we should be more trusted. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. 
So, David, tell us a little bit about your passion and what you do right now. Well, all we do is develop trusted leaders and organizations. So the institute is Trusted Edge Leadership Institute. We, I, re, you know, I speak uh, 100 or so times a year on the concept of developing trusted leaders and organizations, exactly how you do it in governments, brands, you know, all that. But we research. We have our new uh, national trust study comes out in August. Uh, probably the marquee study around trust, at least in business and leadership uh, in North America. And we have um, so research, speak, train or develop and uh, also a consulting coaching piece using the organizational trust index. Awesome. And David, tell us a little bit about how you got into this. What's your background and why did you start studying trust? You know, it's a it's a long, you know, quite a story. But basically, in out of college, went down to Arkansas, Missouri area. Uh, then became director of a youth and family organization, um, started developing leadership orientation type stuff and, the, you know, speaking of places like the U.S. Coast Guard Academy and things like that. And, and it was early 2000 that I, I started my first company in 1999, moved back to Minnesota. Lisa and I living in a musty basement apartment with a $1.40 door name, black mold on the walls, no bathroom, no kitchen. And we started with nothing. And I'd, everything we, we had, we, you know, we started with. So, um but I would remember had been working with companies, different organizations for a few years, being asked to speak at some things. I started really largely speaking and working with big youth and family organizations because of my past experience. And basically that led to um, me starting to think differently about trust. And that led to my graduate work being all around trust. I can still remember thinking the problem they think they're having is not a trust problem. It's or not, not that problem. It's a trust problem. And so I uh, ended up leading to my graduate work, and then that fueled my passion. And then we started to use the trust work in organizations, and that fueled my passion because we saw significant results. We've seen, you know, everything from people triple sales. I can tell my own story, losing 50 pounds in five and a half months. We've seen an organization, uh, you know, now we're working with global governance. You know, two weeks ago I was in Kenya, and uh, now on six continents, um, we um, – that led to me doing some things in my own life, and that drove the passion. Now I'm just passionate about this work and uh, started with my graduate research, you know, organizational leadership and led to this trust work and led to uh, now working with the biggest uh, marquee brands in the world, I guess, in spite of myself. <laughs> I love just seeing how your career has developed. I've heard you speak, I think, four times now, and every time, uh, David, I think you're one of the best public speakers I've I've heard oh, ever. Thank so, you. thank you. <laughs> just want to tell you that. So, tell us what you think the best of the best do differently in terms of trust. Well, first of all, they have to shift thinking around trust, and second of all, they have to, they think differently about how to build it. They think bigger about how to build it. So, first, shift thinking. So, a lot of times we think I know it all about trust, right? Um, I'll ask an audience, do you think it takes a long time to build trust? And everybody raised their hand. Yeah, a long time. Well, on a moment, 9-11 crisis, complete strangers trust each other just in one moment. So sometimes it can be built quickly. In fact, a lot of trust is built in the first 10 seconds with someone or not. Um, you could say, well, is, you know, if I extend more trust to my team, I'll get more out of them, right? Well, you know, that's true until you extend too much, much often. People can say, uh, arrogance is trusted. Uh, I mean, excuse me, confidence is trusted, but arrogance isn't. That sometimes overlaps for people. You can say today there's this big push toward transparency. Got to be more transparent. Got to be more transparent. And yet confidentiality is also trusted. So you see people being too transparent about things they ought not. So they shift thinking and they actually see the bottom line impact. And my argument in the first half of the research was 
A lack of trust is your biggest expense. That was the time. The biggest cost people have is a lack of trust. It's not money. It's not this. It's not that. You know, you think trust doesn't affect the bottom line? Ask Volkswagen. Ask Tiger Woods. One breach of trust, yeah. you know, uh, or 25 breaches of trust. He left $110 million in endorsements in two weeks. Your credit score is a trust score. Uh, governments where countries where citizens trust each other more, they have lower poverty. Everything as far is tied to trust. Time goes up. You think, oh, I don't trust you, so I'm going to put a lock on something. What is the cost? The cost is time. The cost is the cost of the lock. But now I've got to open the lock. There's always a cost in innovation. So they think about trust differently. And secondly, they understand that building it takes more than what people think. So it's not just honesty and integrity. I might trust Syndra to take my kids to the ball game because of her character, right? Because, but I may not trust you, Syndra, to give me a root canal because of your competency. So they look at these eight, this, what we call the eight pillar framework that came out of the research. They look at how to build it more comprehensively. Excellent. Um, and what do you see the barriers of trust? Like, what do you think gets in our way of really being trusted and trusting others? You know what? There, I, in the book, I talk about 12 things. There's actually more, but some of the most common ones are past experience, um, fear. Uh, you know, you'll see uh, different interests. Some, someone comes in, the board might say, we want to build this company for the long term. And the owners might say, we want to build it to sell it. And so they have different interests, conflict of interest. There's a lot of things. Diverse thinking um, it, it makes trusting one another challenging. Um, you know, things that have happened to you. So there's there's a lot of things, but it, a lot of times it comes down to fear or not understanding. So people that fear technology largely because they don't understand how could I, I don't understand how this iPhone or whatever it is even works. So I have a, a fear of it, so I might not trust different things. You know, so so this. Several things I talk about, one of the biggest global studies, the Putnam study uh, out of Harvard, found that people that are um, more diverse backgrounds trust each other 50% less. Well, we know there's benefits to diversity, right? There's benefits in, in thinking. There's benefits in innovation, creativity. So we don't want to lose all those benefits. But it does mean something as far as trust is concerned, that we better be aligned on something. We have to find some commonality if we're going to build trust so that it's not bad or good. It's simply a barrier that in fact is worth overcoming. And what would you suggest for people who know that maybe fear is their barrier to trust other people or trust brands or trust anything? Well, first of all, I was at something recently. And in fact, it was just last week and someone said, what, you know, what, why should I let this fear go? And to that question in that specific time, I said, I wrote down on the sheet, I shouldn't. Because some fear is very healthy. Fear can motivate. It can get you to run the marathon as fast as you do. It can get us to live healthier. It can give a, get us to do a lot of good things. So first of all, this idea that all fear is bad, I, just like all stress is bad, of course is not true. Good, there's good stress and there's good fear. But I think um, pausing and thinking about it because a lot of fear is bad. A lot of fear is unhealthy. And so, um, you know, I would pause and think, so as far as trust is concerned, one of the fears is how much can I trust you? And we know generally if, I, if we extend more trust, we'll get more out of our team. So I want people to pause and think, really, what's the worst that could happen? Because it really usually isn't that bad. I mean, you know, on the farm growing up, I ran into our car with a tractor in front of my mom and dad one time, and I think I learned a lot. Now, my dad lost a car that day. 
But he had this ability to extend so much trust. And today he would say in front of you, he would say, my kids cost me tens of thousands of dollars. They made, especially that boy, David. I mean, he cost so much <laughs> because he, he had this ability to extend so much trust. But he would say right after that, but I made hundreds of thousands in a motivated workforce. And those 17 grandchildren love to come back to the farm because this ability to extend trust, he got the most out of us, I think. So um, partly it's how we think about fear and really kind of divide it into fear that's inhibiting and unreal and fear that's helpful and, and, and dividing those in your mind. Yeah, that's a really good, really good tip. What would you suggest for people if you could give people like one signature technique to that you usually use to develop trust? What would you suggest? Well, I guess I would start with people. So there's eight pillars. So I'd want them yeah. to understand. And of course, in research, they come out as traits. They don't get called pillars. Right. But we call them that because we think they hold up this great advantage of being trusted. We call that the trust edge. So I, I one thing is they came out of the research is quite co-equal. So some people say, take this step, then take this step, then take this. In this case, for instance, uh, people trust the clear and they mistrust or distrust the ambiguous. So that's one. But they also trust those that are high character. So you could be high character but unclear and not be trusted for something. You could be have high character and compassion. That has to do with intent. I trust you if you have intent beyond yourself. So if I, I believe you actually care about me and not just the sale, then I might trust you, right? But you just have compassion and you have character and you don't have competency for it, then I won't trust you to give me the surgery. If you just have the competency, but you don't have character or compassion. So, so in one way, I want them to really think a little more comp comprehensively. And I want to say, okay, people that want to just a tip to build trust in a second, like a motivational speaker, it's like, this is work and it's work that's yes. worth it. And it's the only uniqueness of the greatest, it's the uniqueness of the greatest leaders and organizations of all time. But it's not this moment. Well, a lot of trust is built in a moment. Um, it's also something you have to think big enough and care enough about really being trustworthy. So one thing is I'll ask an audience, is it better to be trusted or trustworthy? And some people will shout out, oh, trusted. Well, I would argue trustworthy because the most deceptive person is the one who looks trust trusted but isn't, in fact, trustworthy. And that's deception at the core. And that's, you know, we can manipulate by doing little things. So let's throw that out all out the window as we think about it. And I'll give one tip that makes a huge difference tomorrow under one of the pillars, because some things you can build very quickly. This tip changed my life. So in the second book, The Daily Edge, I give the idea the way I lost 50 pounds in five and a half months. I give the way that people have tripled sales in 90 days. But it comes down to there's six questions in the 90 day quick plan. And I have an argument in there of why 90 days is the best time frame for change. 21 days is a bogus idea from the, you know, that basically cheesy motivational speakers twisted out of the psycho cybernetics work in the 1950s and sixties. And there are things you can be addicted to or change habits in 21 days, like crack cocaine. You can be addicted to in 21 days, but most real change that's too short. A year's too long. You know it. Two, two to four percent, two per, what uh, University of Clinical Psychology Scranton, maybe eight percent of people keep their you know New Year's resolutions. A year is so long, but ninety days is different. But one idea under that one is the last three questions of the ninety day quick plan. And I'm telling you, wherever we go, 
companies and individuals do not ask those last three questions, and they get to the real th questions of clarity. You've got to answer the first three. You can look those up or ask for them, and I'm happy to give them to you. Go to the Trust Edge. We'll give them to you free, trustedge.com. But, but for me, those last three are the difference makers. The fourth question is, how are we going to get there? Once you've decided where you're going, all that kind of stuff, how am I going to get there? The fifth question is, how am I going to get there? And the sixth and final question is, how am I going to get there? And what do we see all the time? People say, oh, that's funny, ha, ha, ha. No, you might have to ask seven times. But we don't trust people until they ask how, until they'll do, do something differently today or tomorrow. And we force people to ask how. And you see all these meetings, all these companies. I want to have a better culture. How are you going to do that? Oh, I'm going to say nice things. How are you going to do that? Oh, I'm going to appreciate people more. How are you going to do that? Until your how gets so clear, I, I give the example of my weight loss. I came up with 15 ideas. I asked how until I could do something differently today or tomorrow, and it was that clear. One of them was I'm not going to drink a calorie. That's so specific and so clear. I can look at it. Oh, no calories in that. I can drink it. So the how, you're not going to change an organization or a person until you're that clear, and that goes under the pillar of clarity. How, how, how. One other quick organizational example is, uh, one of the biggest healthcare organizations in North America, there we are, big company, they're losing HCAP funding, they're losing patients. I say, get every table together and they're going to solve a problem. They come up with one idea they're going to do to start to build trust. The key table, top leaders, leader stands up and says, we're going to be more clear. I say, how? He sits down and talks to his team. When he's ready, he says, we're going to communicate more. How? He sits down, talks to his team answers we're going to hold each other accountable look i know what that means i'm not going to do a darn thing and i blame everybody else i said how and finally they got to something they're going to do today or tomorrow how 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 that is the real word of clarity and you might argue why is important and it is it's one of the other three words but the why is the motivation people want to just spend time on the why and the truth is there's no hope without the how if i don't have a way forward if I don't have clarity on the how, I'm not going to do anything differently. It's like someone saying, well, I really want to get healthy. I've got all these reasons to be healthy, but I don't have a way that I think I can do it. If I don't, have, if I don't know in the morning at 530, I'm either going to the gym or running, two choices, I'm not going to do either. So I've got to, actually, I've got to be that clear on how I'm going to get to that end to really gain momentum. Yeah, I could see, David, that a lot of people might say, just have really vague, vague answers on how they're going to build trust. Um, but really what you're saying is that you have to be clear on how you're going to build it. Consider the eight pillars, not just one pillar, and it's not this quick fix. True. You really have to think through how, 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 how. You know, and one of the – I think the first way that I we met each other was actually through a football team that we both work right. with. They developed um, and used your trust edge, and now the Daily Edge this last year – I can see a big change in their culture just in general. Um, what would you say to coaches, athletes who are listening about the importance of building trust and what do you see, you know, the top athletes do that are, that are, how do they, how do they build trust differently? Well, to, first to the point of that football team and you were a part of that kind of turnaround and saw change happen and we all got to be a little a part of it and that was fun. The coach called me and said, this made the hugest difference. And I'll tell you the two projects, the two pieces of our work that they especially used. One of them was a trust shield. And that's a way of um, really uh, connecting 
with each other on your team and being vulnerable and really building team, okay? That will throw out. The other one is they use the 90-day quick plan and they off-season yeah. use it every 90 days. But during the week, as you know, they use it every week. They do it as a seven-day quick plan. Where are we right now after the loss or win? Where do we want to be in next seven days? Why? Get strong enough why. And how, how, how are we going to get there? And every position group does it. And they get absolutely clear about what they are going to do differently to move the organization forward or the team forward in this way. In this, you know, way. And really fun to see in, in, a, in what, two years it was, uh, three and seven to seven and three uh, or eight and two even or something. So um, fun to see that. Uh, so that's one thing. I think there's many things I could say around individuals or top athletes, but they see two things. They see how to build trust with others. So they understand it's on me. It's not, I wish they were here. I wish that person would build trust. I wish them, them, them. It is, I can do something. Even if they're likable or not, even if they're easy to work with or not, I take the onus and responsibility on myself. That's the top performers. And they seek to build trust even with difficult people. The other side is they trust themselves enough. And so I could say it this way. They trust themselves enough, but not too much. Okay. So there's, there's ego. You know, this is a big problem for athletes is it's all about them. And then you'll see people trust themselves too much to do it all. And it's particularly if you're part of a team sport, only thinking of themselves, but they have a realistic view of trust of what they can do, what they can bring to this team. And they trust themselves enough to do it. Hey, I want to be on the field when we could lose everything. I want to be the kicker. I want to be the guy. I'm, I trust myself. I've worked at it. I've done it. Um, and they put themselves there. But they also are realistic and not high ego about it. They're not um, – they know there's value in others, and they trust them also. And, and, and let me say one other thing right here. Um, some people see all my work around trust, and they think, oh, that means you think you, think you should trust everyone. No, absolutely not. There's people you should not trust. There's organizations you should, or you should trust them for what they are. If someone's late all the time, I'm going to trust them to be late, right? So right. we trust people for who they are. So, but we can do something. My team can do something. I can do something to be more trusted and gain this trust edge we talk about. Yeah, I like your distinction of athletes, and you're right that they need some ego to be able to perform to their best, but yet they have to trust each other. And I like what you're saying about how the best uh, really build trust. They take responsibility. Yeah. 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 You know, David, one of the things that you just mentioned, um, I think, in your 90 day quick plan was the importance of why. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what I'd love to know is, like, why do you do this work? What's your why and what really fuels you? Well, I love this work. I'm passionate about it. And anybody sees me on stage, it's very authentic. I'm not a, a run around, whatever, but I am passionate about trust. I, gen I mean, I genuinely do believe it is the uniqueness of the greatest leaders, organizations, pro sports teams, governments. I, I don't know if it's because I saw the research, what I've experienced. Now we've seen people, you know, we actually, unlike kind of some speaker companies or trainer companies, we uh, really um, measure. So we see results of that organization went from there to there. 
a huge global organization. We just saw it have, for the first time in, I think, 20 years, have an uptick in their engagement score of 400 basis points. We just saw one person go through our 90-day coaching process and attribute $4.2 million in sales to that 90-day process, which is a little unlike other coaching. They get a call every single day from us for 90 days. So it's unique in that every single day there's a call and connection. But, but um, I've seen it, and, I'm, and so I love the change that it makes. I love the shift it makes. I love the opportunities. I mean, I've enjoyed, I mean, like you said, last week, um, speaking to a country and working with parliament and working with the, you know, president and, uh, of a country and these kind of things. That's an interesting thing because I learn and grow and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but I think that what fuels me is I'm really passionate about the work. It's not, it's, it's, um, there's a few other kind of people about speakers about trust. I was one of the first uh, to really tie it to the bottom line impact and certainly come up with a way of thinking how to build it. There had been work about, about what destroys trust, but not much on what builds it. Really, my biggest competitor in this arena had a ghostwriter write his book and had others. Do, and, you, and people say all the time, I can see your authentic passion whenever we hear this person do their work it's like you know so i it's just genuine to to what i see and it goes back even it, to my roots i talk a lot about the farm and how i learned more growing up on the farm than all the research combined but there's some there's some truth to that and um so i'm passionate about the difference it makes of course i'm passionate about being home with my kids so sometimes there's a tension of of building trust at home and it's great i mean i have a great marriage great kids but with as much as i travel this balance of doing this passion of great raising great kids being a great dad, volunteer, with all the work at Trusted Leadership Institute that we get called to do. Yeah, it's not easy, is it, David? No, it's not easy. Well, tell us one or two things that you do every day to make sure that you're trusted. Because, you know, I know you got to be a role model for this, and um, I I can hear your passion. I see your passion every time I hear you speak. So what do you do? Well, I'll I'll get intimate for a little bit about a couple things. because I think it's really critical. I've sat by so many leaders at the top of their game and they're alone. And I, I, I see people get to the top, whether it's athletes or I can tell you uh, with one of the pro uh, baseball teams we work with, I was sitting in the president and CEO's booth with him in the top of his uh, box here, uh, watching a game at their beautiful stadium and their booth, his, you know, suite, totally anybody could be there at 20 spots, all the food you could handle, whatever. Nobody else, just him alone by the phone. And I'm just thinking with myself as we're talking, this guy's at the top of his game, president of a respected pro baseball team in this great country, United States, and he is alone. Yeah. And talking to him about his life and, and everything. And so... I think it's really critical whether you're a pro athlete, president of organization, or a speaker on the platform, and I see this happen all the time to speakers, they're not grounded, and they've lost their way, and their life has become about them for a time, and pretty soon it's nothing. And um, I'll, so a couple takeaways maybe, I'll just, I could jump on a lot of them, but for me, there's some clear things I do. I have an accountability group, four guys. We meet every year for five days, and this started 20 some years ago, 22 years ago, we meet every year and we go through each of us a series of about 50 questions. We each share for three to four hours each. 
and talk through how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better leader? How can I serve my family better? How can I? And it's a very authentic, and you can't believe the change in some, you know, some of us, what's his name, all of us, really. Uh, we're better husbands. We're better leaders. We're, but we have each other's back. We care about each other. They've gotten on me. Hey, I think you're flying out too much. Your family, or I think this too much, or I think, and how, what are you thinking about that? And there's this grounding in this close brotherhood of friends. Um, I think the same of staying very connected to family. And I'll give one idea. But, oh, by the way, in the accountability piece, not just that five days. And one of those guys I meet with every single week and that I'm home, that I'm in town. But I call him. I talk to him uh, three or four times a week if we're not, um, uh, if I'm not home. And the, I get asked three questions every week. How are you doing leading yourself well? How are you doing, and that goes around a lot of different things, how are you doing leading your family well, and we're talking about servant leadership, and how are you doing leading your company well? How are you serving them? And I get asked that, and I have to authentically, well, this week I didn't have courage as much as this week I did. And a lot of these solopreneurs especially, and I've got a team, thankfully, but I mean, I used to be one basically or two, and, and um, I really think whether you're an athlete or not, you you know, Things come and go, but friendships and grounding, and for me, in faith and family and friends, is really critical. Um, on the family side, I'll give one idea. So staying connected to my family while I'm traveling, whether, you know, this is similar for pro athletes too, but um, there's some things I do consistently. I just had a date night with my wife last night. I'm in Minnesota now. I'm, I'm, there's a lot of things we're doing. I bring I bring each of the kids with at least once a year separately, and we take the whole family on certain trips. So not in Africa two weeks ago, but five months ago, I took the whole family to Africa when I went and spoke at Africa Management University and stuff. So, so um, a couple times a year, I fly everybody. Um, at least once a year, I fly each of them individually. And then Lisa and I always, my wife and I fly a few times, and usually in February, I, I tie it into some nice spot, like, you know, whatever it was, this year, Cayman Islands or something. So um, I'm intentional about bringing them into our world. But one thing I do and have done for several years now is every day I'm on the road, I create a, a one, two-minute video. Used to be we used to use iJot. Now we just use our phone, you know, to do it. But where you'd video yourself, and I'd video some teaching, some encouragement, something about where I am, but something about, hey, do one to others you'd like them to do unto you, blah, blah, blah. You know, but not cheesy, but some little encouragement to them. So every day at breakfast, they get up and they know. And Lisa shows them this video from dad, encouraging them, um, challenging them. And I, of course, call them and talk to them and stuff. But every morning they know, what, wherever I am, if I went to bed at 4 in the morning in Seattle because of the flight, I left them a minute of video. They watch at breakfast before they go to school. So it's one way. <clears throat> There's some other things. Um, I don't know, a little different idea that I talk about, and it's in the new book, is, but it's very personal too, is this idea about seeds. You know, I grew up on the farm. And we think healthy things grow and sick things die. Healthy corn grows, sick corn dies. Healthy organizations grow, sick ones die. Healthy churches grow, sick ones become divided. You know, so um, we think, you know, before you can do any big goal, you've got to water your seeds, cultivate your seeds first. So Lisa, I should attribute most of this to, but S-E-E-D-S, S stands for sleep. Turns out we need it, right? People think, oh, I don't sleep at all. I'm so tough. I only get four, three hours a night. You need sleep, not just weight-wise, Health-wise, mentally, everything else. First E is um, exercise, move. And you know, obviously you're an example in this field, but I talk about just how can I move more? 
walking treadmill treadmill desk. I do I do like to work out, but there's other there's ways for people that just think I never get to the gym that you could just move more. Um, if I wasn't video being able to look at you, I would be standing. I cannot sit at my desk. I'm standing all the time. Whatever. The uh, next E is eat right. Much more important than exercise, I believe. Um, people say to me often, "Oh, you you started to get healthy when you did your started doing triathlons." No, for five months I ate right, had a better weight. I finally felt like doing triathlons. It wasn't the other. It was eating that was way more important. And you talk a lot about this, so your team's not. But I make sure I'm I'm eating at least five green vegetables a day. And then I can handle a scoop of ice cream once in a while, no problem. But that is a big deal, how I eat. The D is drink water. Make sure I drink a gallon of water a day. I'm thinking about water um, uh, all the time. So uh, the final S is source. Source of strength. And this gets to that accountability and other things. But I talk about if you don't have a source of strength beyond yourself, you're going to have a hard time doing anything long-term of value. Faith, family, friendships, you've got to have a source of strength beyond yourself because you know what? Everybody, you're, sometime you're not going to be CEO of that um, company or that pro sports team or you're not going to be 20 years old dunking the basketball and if you don't have a source of strength beyond yourself, we see people tank all the time. Yeah, and I think I think really what you're talking about, David, is like how people get so wrapped up in their ego. And what I think you do is you are a living role model of, you know, putting service first and connecting with others, staying connected with your family and, and living for your family. I think that the video is a great idea of just like sending your kids a video every day for those public speakers or people who travel a lot who are listening. That'd be a good tip for them. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Athletes too, yeah. David, let's go to the top 10 traits of high performers. Um, and so this is, uh, actually, this is the structure of my new book coming out this fall. And David, what I'd like to hear is which of these top 10 traits do you feel like that um, you're really strong at mentally? Well, you know, I think people often say about me uh, a few of these things, and I'm grateful for that. But I, can, I just jumped, two jumped out to me clear purpose of my work. I feel absolutely clear in the purpose of my work, in the purpose of my life, in the purpose of the impact we make, in, the, in my purpose as a dad, father, friend, you know, and leader of this organization and movement around trust. Um, mm -hmm. For sure. And, and which one of those do you, would you say you're still working on? And I ask you that because I think everyone's a work in progress. All, like no one's perfect, right? Every part of this, I think, I, you know, there's different things that jump out. And I, I, I think, when you say self-compassionate, um, I think one thing that can happen to high performers is they can work so hard, you know, that they um, sometimes can lose doing some of the important thing. And this was me. I mean, I think of, and it still is me in certain areas, I think, but, you know, gaining 50 pounds when you know better, um, that is a sign of this piece right here, partly not caring enough about yourself to do it, do something about it. Um, I think, you know, there's some other things there in our business where let's just take the speaking, not the research, but, but I say, um, if you want to be critiqued for a living, if you want to be that role in life, be critiqued for a living, write a book, give a speech or lead anything. We get critiqued every day. Every day we speak, there's evals on the table and we're going to get evaluated and somebody's going to not like the color of your tie or whatever it is. And Many of us, this is certainly me, I love feedback. I need it. It's made me so much better. But what do we do? 
we look at that one thing. Everybody's oh, the best speaker in the world ever. And we look at that one thing and we get wrapped into that and we and that can tie a little bit to this um, challenge of self-compassion and more crit- criticalness. My brother wisely said, 11 years, my senior wise economist says, we're more critical than we've ever been in our world without the ability to critically think. And this is to my, for, you know, I was thinking of this Forbes article. What happens in a Forbes article? What's at the bottom? Well, critique, uh, feedback, you know, online, they put a, feedback. And it's somebody under a rock somewhere that just says something, nothing valuable about the article you just wrote, but something about something and you get critiqued on whatever basis. So um, that's one thing, you know, I think there's, there's parts of all these that I can keep working on. I appreciate you just talking about that. And you know what I think is I think people who uh, are high performers, they do have high expectations. And that's, I think, why it's maybe difficult for them to get over mistakes or to be self-compassionate. And they might even fear being critiqued. And that's why people don't go out and write books (laughs) or 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 speak in front of people. Sure. So, David, besides your books, um, The Daily Edge and The Trust Edge, is there anything that you'd recommend us to, to read or anything that you you'd do to stay fueled? Well, I, one of the things I thought of when you, know, you, you touched on this question before is the whole thing of people finding accountability. I think this is a game changer. I talk about, I don't know, nine ways in the book of how do you stay fresh and relevant and capable. And reading is critical. You know, I, and I, I mean, I could think of a, a, a many books. One comes to mind right offhand is Off Balance. I think that's an interesting book, Matthew Kelly, but there's many other would be as, as, as recommended to that one. It just happens I'm looking at the bookshelf right now, and I see that one, and it jumped out to me as a valuable piece, and it was at the time um, I read it. Um, the arguments of there's never work-life balance. It, you're always off, uh, off balance in a way, but there's a, there's a, it's, it's good. But I think the thing I would recommend that I don't hear enough about is this kind of staying grounded especially for athletes and, um, and, and for speakers and for leaders and finding friends in the team. Great. But outside the team that can keep you grounded. So if you're a CEO of this company, having close friendships outside the company, if you're COO or if you're pro athlete, look how fast your team just moved. That one got traded. This one's over here. You better have a core group. That's going to keep you grounded and especially where so much money is involved, you've got to have friends that love you and you know love and care about you outside of anything with money or prestige or anything else. And you better cultivate those. And that's the same with speakers. I can remember a speaker coming up to me one time after I kind of mentored them or whatever, and they said, they went, did their speech, 2,000 people, and they walked off stage and they said, David, is this it? And I said, yeah. If you're going to get life from the stage, you're in big trouble. If you don't just care passionately about them and giving them the message you're called to give them, you are in big trouble. Because if you're looking for life in the applause or standing ovation, you're done. Yeah, yeah really, really good advice. What is a, a quote you have that's your own quote about trust? What's the most important thing that you want us to be thinking about as we wrap up this interview? Well, I think... Um, one quote I'll give you is it is the little things done consistently that make the biggest difference, not the big things. 
And we say it in work, we say it in life. If I'm overweight, it's because I've had too many mocha lattes over years, not because I ate too much this morning for breakfast. If I'm a good husband, it's because I've loved and honored my wife over time, not because I gave her a dozen roses one time, not that that wouldn't help, right? But if I'm a good leader, it's not because of sharing the vision at the annual meeting, it's because I share the vision every 21, 30 days, because nobody knows it unless you do it consistently. Sales, it's all built on consistency. We can get a big sale once, but those salespeople that we want are the ones that are consistent with little things, getting the consistent things. So little, same with athletes. Little things done consistently make the biggest difference. Not the big, oh, I made that big run, but I didn't run again for three weeks. I did that big thing. I bench pressed that, whatever. If you're not doing the little things consistently, you cannot be trusted. And every brand is built on consistency. This is why we trust McDonald's. Whether you like McDonald's or not, we trust them because they've had the same burger on six continents. If I'm, um, you know, it's the same with reputation. The only way we build a reputation is sameness, consistency, good or bad, right? Just like I said before, late all the time, trust you'll be late. But you, this, whatever you're consistent at, if you're just kind some of the time when it's people you like, I don't trust you. If you just have high character when you feel like, not trusted. Little things done consistently make the biggest difference. Little things make all the difference. Yeah. So if you could wrap it up for us, David, and do you have any final advice for those people who are listening? And I'm thinking um, those high performers. And what I mean by those people is people that are really interested in reaching their full potential who really want to be trusted and develop trust. Well, I think it's a, you know, there's a, many things we've talked about today, but I think you've got to think about trust bigger, number one. And secondly, you've got to understand the eight pillar framework in my mind and not to be so, uh, you know, to my work, but it's, you've got to, th I believe not arrogantly, but passionately, you can solve every organizational and leadership challenge against the eight pillar framework. You've got to, it's either a clarity issue or a compassion issue or a consistency issue or a contribution issue. But I, you know, one thing I'd say about that is people think it's a communication problem. Never is it a communication problem. Communication is nothing. Communication is always happening. Clear communication is trusted. Unclear isn't. Compassionate communication is trusted. Uncompassionate isn't. High character communication is trusted. So get to the real challenge and deal with that. And um, uh, always understand a lack of trust as a, as a high performer is your biggest expense. So you better think about what you're going to do to build it today there's a way to build it and uh, focus on that. Excellent. <laughs> you can get both of David's books, The Trust Edge as well as The Daily Edge. Um, and I know you can go to trustedge.com where you're actually certifying. Um, who are you certifying about yeah, so, what you're doing? So the best, you know, there's a lot of ways we go deeper into an organization or a company, but we have the, um, we certify people in our work. We have people certified on six continents in taking our deeper work into organizations and they can really learn specific tactics, takeaways, tips on how do I build trust? How do I deepen the eight pillar framework? How do I solve the biggest trust challenges and grow this organization or individual using the eight pillar framework? So that's, you know, you can come, you can get certified. Um, there's a whole lot there. You can go to through Trusted University, our online course, you can get the books, whatever else, but we're happy to help you. Uh, and, uh, Appreciate your work, Sindra. Great to be a part. I, of uh, I appreciate that you're here and that you're developing this podcast with us. So, um, tell us, so uh, how can we reach out to you on social media? A lot of people, when they listen to the podcast, they'll go on Twitter yep. or Facebook and and talk about it. So, what's the best way to reach out to you there? So you can find all the spots at trustedge.com, trustedge.com. Because my last name is hard to spell, we tell our kids if you can spell it, you can be one. Uh, but it's David. Horsager, H-O-R-S-A-G-E-R, 
And you can find that on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and you know everywhere else. So um, if you can spell it, you'll find me because there aren't many of them out there. Excellent. David, thank you so much for your time and your energy and your passion and for giving us your gift of trust and helping us think more about it deeply. Thank you for listening to High Performance Mindset. If you like today's podcast, make a comment, share it with a friend, and join the conversation on Twitter at Mentally Underscore Strong. For more inspiration and to receive Syndra's free weekly videos, check out DrSyndra.com.